0: The Raw Rugby Podcast Hello and welcome to The Raw Rugby Podcast, I'm Brett McKay. We're back for a very special bonus episode 19 thanks to theraw.com.au Australia's biggest sporting debate and your home of the biggest and best rugby discussion kicking around. And it's just me right now because this very special episode is another little bonus one-on-one chat from my enthusiastic co-host Harry Jones. This time around he's had a great discussion with the one and only Sir Brian Williams. Of course he's a famed All Black in his own right. He played 113 games for New Zealand including 38 tests and his 66 tries were an All Black record until Sir John Kerwin eventually surpassed his mark. As a player, coach and administrator of the game He's been described as a catalyst for rugby within Pacific communities and was at the forefront of the creation of and remains heavily involved with Super Rugby team Moana Pacifica. They've just wrapped up their debut Super Rugby Pacific season and it was with this in mind that Harry was joined for this wonderful chat by Sir Brian Williams. The Raw Rugby Podcast.
1: So we have a, a big coup on the Roar. We have uh, the great. The pride of Pons- Ponsonby, the uh, Samoan sidestepper, the benighted Brian B.G.
2: Williams, uh, Talofa Lava, Brian. Yeah, Talofa Lava, uh, Maloelele, Harry, how are you? Very good, yeah. I, I, first off the, off the bat,
1: you know, when I, was a, when I was a kid in Cape Town, I don't know if you know this, but the B.G. was an actual term of art, uh, the Sonny Bill Williams, if you say, do the Sunny Bill, everyone knows it's a chicken wing offload. Yours, the BG was the swerving, sidestepping, after you're already in the in-goal area, trying to get a better try. And <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't have your sidestep, so I had like, plenty of coaches tell me to stop doing the BG. But you were famous for this. <laughs> yeah, well... <Remember? laughs> Remember in 1970, uh, one of your tries in the test series against the box, uh, you made quite a few metres after crossing the try line.
2: Yeah, well, it was it was a game, it was the fourth test of, of the series in, in 1970, and we were down 17-6 at the time. A try was only worth uh, three points, so we desperately needed five rather than three, and when I went across the line, I, I had no intention of putting the ball down. I, I just, uh, I, I knew I could do it. I, I saw a couple of defenders, two or three defenders, and uh, I sidestepped the couple at the end and, and, and put it down under the post. And it, it meant that we were back in the game. You know, instead of 17-9, it was 17-11. And it, it gave us, gave us uh, cause for hope. So that was tactically astute. But in my case, I just thought it looked cool to
1: always swerve after I was yeah, trying scoring a try and get a few more meters. Um, I know you made a lot of appearances for Auckland, uh, probably played almost a hundred or over a hundred games for the All Blacks. And you did float around the back line. I know when you, when you became famous as a 19 year old in South Africa, you were, you were a winger,
2: uh, but I believe you played left wing and right wing in, the, in that tour. Am I right? Yes. Yes, I did. I, I played on the left wing in the first test and, um, Believe it or not, I was on the right wing in the, in the second test and centre in the third test and then back on the left wing in the fourth test. <laughs> so I did not <laughs> move around a bit.
1: Yeah, and a strange fact for you as well is your first all-black match, I think, was in the little town of Bethlehem. Uh, that was your first match, I think, against Paul Rus. That's
2: right, yeah. Um, and, and I was as nervous as a kitten, as you can imagine, Um I was playing alongside all my heroes, you know, the the guys that I had grown up idolising and um, suddenly I was out on the field with them. So um, fortunately, the very first time I I got the ball, I I had a clear run uh, to the try line and I was able to score a try and and, um, I managed to score a try again later in the game. So that when I came off the field, um, you know, the guys were patting me on the back and of saying things like, "Oh, mate, you're you're one of us. You, you can do this." Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <All> good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to
1: say, you're 19 years old, and you're and you're with, uh, you know, Colin Meads. I mean, did you did you
2: say Mr. Meads, or did you say Colin? Or well, I, I pretty much did. I, I I didn't know quite what to what how to address him, and and also Brian Lahore. They were great, great All Blacks, and many other great All Blacks, but. Uh, I, I was as shy as a kitten, you know, and I, um, I, I I think I just bowed my head. Hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this true that you didn't want to
1: get off the plane at the Jansmitz airport uh, when you arrived in 1970 in South Africa? Is that a true story?
2: Yeah, it is a true story. And I, I, I underwent a bit of a panic attack. You know, suddenly it all hit me. Uh, not only, um, you know, being amongst these great all blacks, but, but, you know, going into apartheid South Africa, I didn't know what to expect. One of the first uh, four players of, of uh, colored blood, uh, for want of a better term. And um, yeah, so, so suddenly I had this panic attack and um Couple of my mates had to coach me off the plane. I, <laughs> I wanted to go home to mum. <laughs> well, the interesting
1: postscript of that, and you probably know this by now, but you became a cult hero in South Africa. So, for a lot of people of color, you were a hero. I mean, you were young, you were a teenager. You had these, you know, you were you were fending, sidestepping. You had these big, you know, it was hard to tackle you. You just seemed like a guy who was unafraid. What's interesting is you're saying that you were actually scared
2: to death <laughs> when you arrived. <laughs> Well, initially I was, and then I, I guess I, I became more comfortable. But uh, as, as you say, the um, uh, the coloured uh, and and black people of South Africa uh, took us uh, to their hearts, and in many regards, we were representing them. You know, um, the fact that the four of us were able to tour South Africa was was sort of putting a, a chink in the armour of apartheid, and and um, and and ultimately, of course, we we saw what what happened, you know, some 20, 21 years later when, when Nelson Mandela uh, became president of, of South Africa. So um, we, we like to think that that, that played its part.
1: Uh, it's not just a question of thinking. It did, uh, it did, Brian. Uh, there were so many people that saw that as a, a wake-up call. You know, this whole white supremacy thing was a myth. Uh, you were busting tackles. You were smashing people. You were getting over and you were a kid. But you pointed out, I think, in one interview that you were the first Polynesian for in a while for the All Blacks. I mean, there have been Maori, obviously, but it was actually the Solomon Brothers, I think, were the last uh, Polynesians that played for All Blacks. So it wasn't just smashing through mores in South Africa. You were also breaking uh, some barriers for New Zealand.
2: Yeah, well, as you say, the, the Solomon Brothers played in the 1930s, and, and there were one or, one or two others after that. Arthur Jennings, of Fijian, uh, was in the... Um, All Blacks and uh, George Scudder, um, but not not many. And and particularly, uh, I think when I came on the scene, there weren't many uh, Pacifica uh, players uh, playing first class rugby uh, in New Zealand. So, you know, to make that breakthrough and and uh, break break into the All Blacks at that stage, I, I think. Um, really, really, hopefully, gave a lot of encouragement to, to our, our young people, you know, that if one, yeah. one of us could do it, then many of us could, and, and ultimately, that's what transpired. You have had a career, actually, a life of hard work. I, I looked up your
1: Mount Albert Grammar School motto, and it says, through hardship to glory. So maybe this is something that you learned early. But it looks like uh, even your career, the All Blacks, was actually over when you were 28. So you had nine seasons. Uh, But you had so many other things, a lawyer, uh, administrator, president of NZRU. um, And now we're going to get into, obviously, Moana Pacifica, one of your your latest projects, but one of many. Um, But before we leave that tour, I just wanted to to ask you, there was a picture um, of you playing a, a guitar. And you were in Kruger Park. And there were some big, beefy guys around you. Some of them were drinking. Some lady were smoking a little bit. But you were playing a guitar in a, in, a, in a wearing a hat that was three sizes too small for you. Do you have any memory of what kind of songs you would have been singing that those guys would have been singing along with you?
2: Well, back in those days, and. Um... You know, I always joke about the fact that that uh, playing the guitar prolonged my rugby career by about three years. You know, <laughs> well, the form went off, but uh, they needed a guitar player. But um, you know, back in those days, we we made our own fun, and and uh, being able to play the guitar was was uh, a bit of a godsend for me. I, I absolutely loved music, and the sort of music was sort of Elvis and the Beatles yeah. and and uh, Engelbert Humperdinck and 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 uh, the Rolling Stones, all all that sort of stuff. A bit of Frank Sinatra thrown in, and, and nice. it was uh, we, we had a lot of fun. And you know, on many occasions, we'd we'd um, we we'd start with the letter A. You know, come up with a song title that started with A, and go right through the alphabet. And then uh, if we weren't finished for the day or the evening, well, we started again. <laughs> we go from <laughs> A to Z. Yeah, I know.
1: And that's what we, very long.
2: Yeah, huge those were very long
1: tours. There were 20, 28 matches or something. I mean, you were basically, and I was thinking you're 1920, you're, you're probably still living at home with your mom and dad, and now you're out, you know, forever in Africa. I mean, it must have been just a crazy time for you to grow up in.
2: Yeah, well, I was living at home at, at that stage. My mom, mom and dad were still supporting me. I, I, um, my my uh, girlfriend of the time, who is now my wife, uh, she, was, she was on the scene uh, before I made the All Blacks, so uh, that wasn't the thing that attracted her, apparently. And, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, but but um, they were they were interesting times, and and as I say, we we used to have to make our own fun. We didn't have social media or, or cell phones or any of that sort of stuff, and as a result of that, I guess we we didn't quite have the scrutiny uh, that young people have to face uh, nowadays. Um, you know there was lots of socialising uh, r- around rugby. You, when when you were playing, you're obviously preparing for the match, and you weren't socialising. But when you weren't playing, um, the, the, you were socialising with, with your mates and uh, right. having fun and uh, ha- having a few drinks and and singing lots of songs and all all that sort of stuff. So it, it was really fun.
1: Rugby on the roar. So, you know, I saw an interview with your wife, uh, I believe her name is Leslie, and she was speaking about you and she said, you know, rugby in in your life, your family has been like a disease, a mission, a family, uh, everything. (laughs) So I mean, she she must have really stuck with you through some tough times up and down. But one thing is for sure, rugby has provided you and your family something very, very grand and magnificent. Uh, And it's interesting how you've given back to the community. So I know that you've gone back to coach. You coached uh, at your school, uh, at your club, uh, at Samoa. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you might have been coaching Samoa when they had, I think, their highest rank. It, it might be true. Um,
2: yeah, it, it yeah. Might, yeah. During, the, during the 1990s, I, I coached initially with uh, Peter Schuster. And, and then um, I, I took over as head coach in '95. I'd been assistant coach prior to that. So during that time, we made uh, the quarterfinals of the '91 right. World Cup and also the '95 World Cup, and and came very close to it in '99. So right right through that particular decade, you know, we we beat Wales three times, we beat Argentina a couple of times, we beat Scotland, we beat Ireland. You know, so we we were we were highly ranked at that stage.
1: Yeah. There is. So there seems to be a potential here with Moana Pacifica to actually create a new heyday, um, a new golden era, because, you know, you have ability now for Samoan players, even though they're playing on um, a Pacifica team, which has uh, Tonga players as well, Cook Islands, but Samoan players can develop uh, combinations through the year uh, so that this can result kind of like Argentina was able to beat the All Blacks because they played together in um, a competition year after year. So is that one of the benefits you see for Moana Pacifica for uh, the Pacific nations?
2: Absolutely, Harry. It it was uh, certainly uh, one of our main, main objectives, Um, Michael Jones. So Michael and I had both coached the Manu Samoa, you know, back in those days that I talked about, uh, Michael uh, followed, followed me. Um, but we realised the disadvantages that, that um, uh, the, the Pacific Island national teams uh, always always faced when, when they came up against uh, the big boys. You know, lack of lack of finance, uh, lack of preparation, uh, coming together uh, for a week's training before you take on you know the All Blacks or or the Wallabies or England or or France. Um, so as you say. Uh, Moana Pasifika has, has given us an opportunity uh, for all of our players to play in a, a top mainstream competition and then uh, feed into the national teams. And I, I think this week uh, we've seen the Ikali, Ikali Tahi, the Tonga national team named with um, 13 uh, of, of the Moana uh, players. And, and uh, Manu Samoa, I, I saw a team announced a day or two ago with a similar number, thirteen or fourteen uh, boys uh, are in uh, the Manu Samoa. So that, that's you know what I would ultimately like to see with it is um, playing regular test matches on, on an mm-hmm. annual basis against Australia uh, and and New Zealand and and you know perhaps Japan and and the three Pacific Island nations. You know we could have a really meaningful Six Nations competition. Uh, that might be a stretch for, for some at the moment, but but I I think that's certainly possible. It just yeah, it seems like with the advent of the professional era,
1: uh, Samoa was left out in the cold because, as you say, they were really a top six, top five, top six, top seven program, and then uh, it bled away. People, it was too easy for players to go other places and um, and form the basis, the core of some of the other. I, I would think that world rugby, it's in the best interest of World Rugby and all stakeholders that the World Cups be more competitive. Right now going into 2023, you can look at six teams and say, it's probably gonna be one of those six and it's probably gonna be one of those three of the six. And isn't it better if you didn't know? Isn't it better if you had 12 teams? Uh, And so it's surely what you're doing with Mono Pacifica and other people doing this with you uh, is is a very, very good story. I know it's hard, so I know you're helping to build this and found it really. But first, before we go into all that stuff, what about the win over the Brombies? I mean, what a game! Unbelievable. Now I saw you—you were—you were losing it on the side.
2: <laughs> well, I was very happy, and, and uh, we, we were all very happy about about that. But it was sort of the culmination of uh, what what we had been building to. You know, the, the coaches have worked extremely hard. Um, uh, the CEO and the staff have worked extremely hard. And, and the board uh, has, has, you know, tried to offer um, wise counsel and, and guidance uh, to the organisation. So to see not only that win, but the way the win was achieved um, really uh, brought it all home to us. <clears throat> just, just what, uh, the future may hold and, and the potential because um, you know and we, we know that there's lot lots of other young players out there who are going to aspire uh, to, to be uh, part of Moana and and um, and and then as I say uh, feed into the national teams and and create uh, your, your point about um, having 10 or 12 competitive teams at World Cups is absolutely valid and and um, and this is a way to do it this is a way to do it. How good was
1: that, uh, Christian Leifano Fifty Twenty Two? When he when he did the Fifty Twenty Two, I thought, okay, it's over. <laughs> you you guys won. It just yeah. it was a magnificent. It was the first time I ever saw him uh, actually uh, fade a ball because he always hooks yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk to him about how he did that for my golf game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a wonderful um situation really, uh, big breakout and, and then as you say that that kick sort of um, uh, wound wound itself out out to going left to right, which which meant that uh, we, we were right down in there 22 with only you know minutes to go and, and um, uh, it, it meant that we, we were out of out of trouble and, and the game was won. so we were very yeah. happy i reckon you could i reckon you could have done a pretty good fifty
1: twenty two I, I don't remember seeing you pass that much or um or do you know you just beat your man but uh i reckon you could have done a fifty twenty two do you like that law is a good is it a good
2: law um yeah yes and no i, I guess there it, would be some who say well you know should you get such a reward for for kicking the ball or i don't know instead of keeping it on the hand but um it it just means that um you know, people, the, the opposition need need to cover that that option, so they, they've got to drop someone back to, to cover it, which hopefully opens up space for uh, for your attack. So, um, you know, if if you use it uh, wisely, uh, it, it may the next time they think you're going to do much the same thing, and then you you spin it wide, and and in theory you should you should have uh, a bit of space out there. Right.
1: So, looking forward to twenty twenty three for Moana Pacifica, I looked at the stats and Moana had uh, was tied for the most offloads, one hundred and thirty three with the Chiefs. Uh, second most defenders beaten, three hundred and thirty seven with the uh, after the Canes. But that was off of seventy eight percent line out, seventy five percent scrum. Not as many rocks built. So imagine, you know, imagine if you had the, those ingredients, if you were getting. Uh, your ball more regularly. So is that the focus now to strengthen the pack and have set-piece um, parity with other teams?
2: Well, I, I think so. I, I'm obviously not part of the, the coaching team, but just looking at, at the progress uh, that the forward pack uh, particularly made, you know, the, the first few games, our, our line-out was, was uh, i got to say, it was dreadful. <laughs> and, and and, and uh, our scrum was was in quite a bit of bother but uh, towards the end we, we were very competitive in all those areas so, so great great credit uh, to the coaching uh, group because um, you know they, they had to bring uh, lots of new players p- players who hadn't played at that level uh, before right up to speed and, and to be able to compete with you know players who, who'd had years and years of experience and and also lots of test match experience. So, um, as I say, that the last three or four games we were extremely uh, competitive in, in every aspect of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a strand in Pacific history this idea of collisional confrontational uh, dominance, and you know you're winning the collisions. You beat the you beat the Brumbies in the collision, um, and it just looks like to me that it's not going to take that much more for you to really trouble a lot of the teams uh, next year. I look at a guy like Henry teammate Stowers, and we spoke to him. His game lifted to another level. I think he loves playing with Aaron Major. I think he loves the uh, com- camaraderie. And uh, like you said, on these old tours, you really bonded. I think Moana Pacifica has a bond that is not the same as the other teams. Uh, can you speak to that issue of why it's more than a game, more than a rugby team? Moana Pacifica is an idea where a nonprofit is helping a uh, beneficial trust, a registered trust, a charitable trust, that is uh, the beneficiaries of that are the people, the actual people. And there's a long term vision to build something that is a, a vehicle for Pacifica by Pacifica.
2: No, you're absolutely right, Harry. That is, you've, you've summed up uh, the, the structure uh, very well there. And, um, you know, just looking at the history of, of uh, Pacific Island people in, in New Zealand, just all the uh, the glass ceilings, I guess, that that have been broken through. When, when I was growing up, you know, during the fifties uh, and sixties in New Zealand, uh, being an islander uh, was—you you certainly weren't um, made to feel very welcome. You, you know, you were sort of, you you were intruders and and uh, troublemakers and and um, uh, and that sort of thing and and. So eventually, uh, all these different milestones, I guess, have been achieved. Uh, you, you talk about uh, me making the All Blacks in, in the nineteen seventies, and what what then uh, was was only a trickle be- became a flood, and and now you know, it's virtually uh, gone quite the opposite way. But in, a, in addition, uh, you know, rugby league players, netball players. Um, Performers on stage uh, to the extent that you know we now have, um, I think it's eleven uh, parliamentarians in, in the New Zealand Parliament of Pacific Island heritage, and you know we've we've got CEOs of uh, New Zealand Health and 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 vice chancellors of universities and things like that. So I think people now realise uh, the, the value of the Pacific Island people can. Uh, can offer in all sorts of ways, and and often do it with with a lot of uh, enjoyment, a lot of grace, um, and and a lot of uh, song and dance and food and music. <laughs> you know, so it, it it is fun, and and but but we're achieving at the same time.
0: The Raw Rugby Podcast. Moving from
1: that issue to the issue of eligibility, which I think affects Pacifica players more than any other, um, it looks like Spain is challenging world rugby and and actually poking a few holes, uh, punching a little bit at some of those those teams like Scotland or um, maybe Ireland that seem to be able to get around these rules. Do you see um, world rugby finally making these things clear? And do you think it will inure to the benefit of the Pacific nations finally?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think the the alteration uh, to the eligibility uh, rules uh, this year, uh, allowing um, you know players who might have played uh, for tier one countries in the past uh, after a three-year stand down to, to come back and play uh, for the island of of their of their heritage, uh, maybe of their birth or their, their parents' birth or their grandparents' uh, birth, uh, is is that that's making making a statement. I, I personally uh, would have liked it to be two years uh, rather than mm. uh, three or, or more years. So, um, but at the moment that, that that's what it is, and and but it allows. Um, you know, ex-ex uh, All Blacks, ex Wallabies, um, and and uh, other other players of other countries, uh, to go back uh, to to the country of, of their heritage, and um, you know, when we see people like Israel Folau, and and Charles Piutau being selected for the for the Tongan team, you know, it's it's, um, gosh, that, that gives the people so so yeah. much uh, joy, and and um, uh, Looking, looking at that Ikali Tahi team, gosh, on, on paper, they're, they're going to be very strong. I, I, I wouldn't like to be uh, uh, taking taking them on. And so they, they could really make a, a big statement uh, in the next year and, and at the World Cup in 2023. And I think uh, the same will apply to um, the Manu Samoa when, when uh, um, they play as well. Uh, lots of players... Uh, from overseas are, are probably going to come back into it. I'd, I see um, one of the locks in the Manusamor, more, Theo McFarland. He plays for the Saracens up in England. And I was just following a bit on um, the Facebook page. He's very highly regarded, you know, one of the, mm. the best players in, in the competition. And um, so players like that coming, coming into the international scene, having, having had that sort of experience... In addition to to our Moana uh, Pacifica players, it's it's just going to make a huge difference. Yeah, Samoa is in a pool with England, Japan, and
1: Argentina. That looks like a lot of fun. That pool. Uh, <laughs> not too happy about Tonga getting strengthened because they're in the probably going to be the pool with South Africa, um, Ireland, and Scotland. And they will they'll they'll make Scotland work. And I would I would say it's it's not going to be a cake for anyone. Um, yeah. So you've been very honored. Obviously, you were um, you were given the MBE and the Queen's Birthday Honors of '83, I think, 2013. The Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit, and then you were promoted in 2018 to Knight Companion. Is the next step King? Are you going to be King Brian next?
2: <laughs> what's 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 the next thing you can be? <laughs>
1: Um, well, I think what,
2: it, might, it might be the box. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what
1: accolade uh, do you treasure most? I mean, you have all these official honours, but what's the one that really um, you know, fills your heart that you feel the most proud of?
2: Oh, that, that's a difficult um, question, really, Harry. I, I'm, I, I guess I've, um, I've just learned over the course of my life to take, take things in my stride. And um, you know, as these various honours have, have uh, um, been bestowed on me, I, I'm truly, truly grateful and, and humbled uh, by them. But but um, at the same time, not getting carried away uh, by them. Uh, you know, sort of. It, it uh, it's, it's really, really nice. And and uh, but but I. As I say, I've just taken, taken everything in, in my stride. And, and um, I like to think I'm, I'm still the same person I, I've, I've always been. Um, you know, when, when I meet people and just the philosophy of, um, you know, treat people the way you would like to be treated yourself. And I think uh, that, that's been uh, perhaps uh, one, one of my um, main, main aspects.
1: Yeah, I also I read somewhere that you were just trying to be better than your brother.
2: <laughs> this well, all started it was with a lot of,
1: you had a, an older brother that was pretty good at rugby, and you were just trying to be a little,
2: a little bit better. <laughs> well, certainly that that was my motivation at at, at the start. Um, yeah, but then like anything else, if if you uh, start to have some success, you you try and uh, get better and better at, at what you're doing, and um, you know, one, once it became apparent, I was an All Black. I wanted to be a really good All Black, and and um, and as Richie McCaw has said in the past, you know, he 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 wanted to be uh, a great All Black, and and he ended up being the the goat, greatest of all time. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a couple more questions, even very generously your
1: time, but. Um... So, I want our younger listeners to actually go back on YouTube and find the cheekiest try ever scored. The one you scored against Eastern Province, where it started with a back heel. You back heeled the ball and, and then you went and scored at
2: the other end. You remember that? I just, yeah, uh, I, do. I do. Yeah, a moment of instinct. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was instinct. And, and um, yeah, to be fair, we, we were winning the game pretty comfortably at that stage. But uh, now the ball came along the back line and. Um, it went to ground and, and I, I saw the ball lying there and, and uh, I, I became aware that there were a couple of defenders, uh, you know, sort of swooping on onto the ball and onto me. And so I, I then back heeled the ball and, and it went between them. And then I ran between them and picked the ball up and, a few defenders along the way and sidestepped and and whatever and <laughs> scored under the bar at the other end. So it it is a, it was cheeky, but one of my favourites.
1: <laughs> yeah, you actually played against some very good Springboks in that 1970 series. I mean, you were clearly the star of the series. You came out, you know, into the world of rugby, but you had you know Pria, you had um, Jan, Jan Ellis, Pete Crelling, you had Manie I mean, these are some really serious players. I think you know um, it must have been interesting to play against them. Do you remember any Springboks that really stood out to you as tough opponents?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, during during my career, I'd say the Springboks were the toughest opponents uh, that, that I ever ever faced. Toughest physically, you know, they they were just hard nosed and and very uh, very physical. And um, those players that you mentioned, all all great great players and uh, very fond memories of, of um, many of those guys. I've, I've run into a few of them in, in later life. Um, uh, some have pa- passed on now, but um, I was back in uh, South Africa in um, 2013 uh, with my wife Leslie and um, was able to catch up, particularly with one or two of the boys who'd uh, played against us in, in um, um, 1976. That, that particular uh, Springbok team.
1: Just a few quick hits about the upcoming uh, Super Rugby Pacific. Who do you think, Blues or Crusaders or someone else going to take the crown this year?
2: Well, it certainly looks like one of those two teams. Uh, uh, they're certainly the favourites. But um, those of us who've been around top-level sport uh, for a long time, you, you realise that uh, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. and. Uh, if they can get a home final um, for all the, the long-suffering Blues fans, including me, over, over many years, then that would be great. But, but yeah. um, you look at that Crusaders team, um, and um, they're, they're going to take a, a power beating. I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if they come through. Yeah, looks like it. Um,
1: on selection for All Blacks, would you do Bodie Barrett or Richie Mwanga as, uh, as
2: your fly-off? Um, Well, that's a difficult one again. um, Bodie's obviously come back uh, refreshed and and I think he's starting to really display uh, some wonderful uh, touches again. Richie has been a great player for some years. Um, I guess it'd be fair to say that uh, Richie, on the international stage hasn't uh, quite um, performed uh, to the same level, uh, you know, consistently. He's, he still produces uh, the goods. And uh, so, on, on that basis, I'd, I'd probably go for Bodie, but it, it's a tight, tight call. Yeah. Well, I want to say it's been really a great pleasure to
1: talk to you. Um, uh, I loved it, loved every second of it, and uh, wish you all the best. And we'd love to talk to you again throughout the season. Uh, as we come into test season uh, and of course uh, we're we're hoping and wishing for Samoa to have a really good showing in the World Cup next year yeah Rafa Lava
0: Harry thank you Tofa Sir BG (laughs) The Raw An absolute honour and a privilege to have Sir Brian Williams join Harry for a chat on the Raw Rugby Podcast and we really hope you enjoyed the discussion We'll be back next week to wrap up the Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinals and look ahead to next week's semis, plus our usual wrap of our great game around the world. Remember, if you do like an episode, get in touch uh, at Harry Baldy Jones and at BMC Sport on Twitter, the new episode page each week on The Raw, or especially like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review, which will remain committed to mentioning all new reviews that we received, as we've done last week. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, but mainly Harry Jones in this case, every week on theraw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite rugby analysis and opinions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week.